Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus invites us to learn from him. Greek is not so dissimilar to English that there's a giant difference from learning from and learning about. But I think we know there's a pretty wide gap. From about age 18 to 32, I did a lot of stuff for Jesus. I learned a lot of stuff about Jesus. But if this text is true, and it is, and you'd known me at the time, and I'd said, you know, is it working? You'd have been like, well. Because doing things for Jesus, but not being with him, knowing a lot about him, but not receiving his gentle and accessible heart, will not give rest to our souls. This is the only place in the scriptures where Jesus describes his heart. Maybe we should just preach verse, we, I should just preach verse 28, one week, and then 29 and 30, that we stop and receive what's here for us. In the New Testament, the heart does not mean emotions, though emotions are interconnected. Heart means seat of motivation. It might sound crass to you, but it's not a stretch to say this is Jesus describing why he gets out of bed in the morning. To offer to you his gentle and accessible heart. One of the things that can be confusing about the scriptures, especially if you read through sequentially, is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus is often very subtle, even deliberately resisting explaining who he is and his mission. And a few years ago, I read um, John Calvin say that John is the key that unlocks Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and that was very helpful to me. This particular series, I'm more indebted to an author named Dane Ortland, who actually used to attend church here before he went to seminary. He's now a pastor in Chicago, wrote a lovely book on the Psalms, and a book called Gentle and Lowly, called The Heart of Christ for Saints and sinners. And if you pick up the book, I have several copies in the back for reasons I can't fully fathom. The publisher sent us a bunch of them, which I thought was kind. Um, you're welcome to read it. You won't find a lot of what I'm preaching on in the book, but you'll find an explanation and an exploration of the heart of Christ found throughout the scriptures. Just before Jesus teaches about this, he pronounces some woes, but well, that's a little bit, three verses before. He talks about himself and the Father, referencing the Trinity. 
So we have things to learn about Jesus from those teachings, but we begin with the very motivation of the Savior. One of my favorite books is uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible, and in it, when Jesus calms the storm, Sally Lloyd-Jones writes, the storm obeyed him because it remembered his voice from creation, which is true. And sometimes the most profound teachings about Christ come from clear language about some of the shorter passages in Scripture that are actually very rich for you and for me. Uh, February of 2020, I rode in a 100-mile uh, bike race, and I am as surprised as you that I was able to finish it. Dave and Sheila Cooley, who are avid cyclists, helped me train on one of our training rides, I said, what are you guys going to say if I die training with you? And Sheila did not miss a beat. She said, he died doing something we love. <laughs> and Dave uh, gave me a lot of help. Uh, one thing that didn't help me was he had the, the clips at their highest level because I was borrowing his shoes because we were the same shoe size and they were at the, the strongest setting. So I fell down a number of times. But he said, there is no substitute for sitting in the seat of the bike. There's no amount of exercise or uh, seating. Like I had a recumbent bike at the time, and he's like, that's not going to help you. You have to get used to sitting in the seat of the bike. There's no substitute for that. And what we must learn is there's no substitute for being with Jesus. But some of us were taught how to be with him in a very narrow way. And every time I've ever heard someone talk about a quiet time, their motivations were good and they were encouraging me or whoever to be with Jesus. But it sounded very prescriptive to me growing up. It's the first thing you do in the morning, which for me is very hard. It's one chapter, prayer, and then you're good. Which implied to me that I'm supposed to learn something new every day about God. And the quiet time in its narrowness has oppressed more than one Christian who it's not a fit for. How are you with Jesus? I don't mean like, how's your relationship? I know the answer to that because the cross, it's good. What's a way that you're with Jesus that actually gives rest to your soul? Some of you like to read books. I'd encourage you to um, pray before, after, maybe during, slow. Those of you that know me, well know that I love the Psalms and I used to read more than one a day. Now I just, I take one. I read a little more slowly. Many of you like to be outside? Take a scripture with you. Pause and pray. Take a question with you. And your mind will go all over the, all over the place because you're a human, but, but there is no substitute for being with Jesus. And the reason I want to caution us in thinking about things like quiet times is the older I get and the more life experiences I go through, I learned that um, we will have seasons of limitation in front of us. I read a few weeks ago something called the spoon theory. Okay? Spoon theory is a creative way to explain to healthy people what it's like to have chronic pain to have limited energy. So, 
If you have 12 spoons per day, it takes one to get out of bed, one to get dressed, one to take medication if you take medication, one to watch TV. It takes two to bathe, to style your hair, to surf the internet, to read or study. It takes three spoons to make and eat a meal, to make plans and socialize, to do light housework or to drive somewhere. It takes four spoons to go to work, go shopping, go to the doctor or exercise. So you take away a spoon if you didn't sleep well. You take away a spoon if you skipped a meal. Take away four spoons if you're not feeling great. And here's the thing, if we take a theory like that, that can be very helpful for us to think about our limitations, and then we hear Jesus' voice, then we're able to reject any voice, whether it comes from inside us or we heard somewhere else, telling us exactly what our time with Jesus has to be like. And then we learn to be with him in ways that give rest to our souls. Eugene Peterson is a scholar who died a few years ago and he retranslated the Bible. Into, um, it's called The Message. Bono from U2 loved it. And somebody told Eugene Peterson that and he was like, I'm so grateful. Who's Bono? <laughs> and this is how he translates this passage. And what's spectacular about this translation is not only that it's linguistically good, Eugene Peterson, PhD in languages, he's also contextually accurate. Because what Jesus is pushing back on is a religion that wears you out by saying you need to do for God. You need to know about God. And then maybe you'll be, you know, kind of okay. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the un- forced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That is the offer of Jesus. And we learn from Jesus. He commands us here because he's gentle. I'm going to define gentleness in a, in a kind of generic way. It's different if you're a religious person or a God follower, but it's a, it's a self-aware strength, so you're aware of yourself and others, employed to bless others. A self-aware strength employed to bless others is gentleness, and it's without agenda. For a God follower, that begins with honoring God and then towards others. It's a self-aware strength employed to bless others without an agenda other than that. And what's interesting about the scriptures is they ask us unabashedly to receive this picture of Jesus, these words, this description that he gave us, alongside the woes he just gave to a bunch of cities that did not appreciate the great work that he did there. Matthew 23, the woes really step up a notch. Perhaps you're familiar with the time Jesus was upset by the buying and selling in the temple, and he sat down very carefully and thoughtfully braided a rope. You know something I didn't notice is he let the birds out first so that they didn't get harmed before he drove the money changers out of the temple. How can that be gentle? Biblically, a gentle person looks anything but gentle in front of a violent or a hard-hearted person. I think the proof of Jesus' gentleness with respect to religion and how he pushed back on religion for religion's sake 
is in the story of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Joseph of Arimathea was on the council that condemned Jesus. He disagreed with them. He told Pilate it wasn't a good idea. Luke writes in chapter 23 that he was looking for the kingdom. And I think Jesus' strength, which was still gentle, drew him to faith. And Nicodemus, you maybe remember from John chapter 3, is the one who came and asked Jesus questions at night. They see Jesus standing up to all that was wrong with religion at the time. Do this and 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 maybe you'll be okay. And they became Jesus' followers. When Jesus confronts all that's wrong with religion, it's not only to defend those who are being harmed by it, but also to recall those who are teaching it and to give them a chance to receive his gentle heart. In his gentleness, he is telling us contextually, and what contextually means is the, te- the text before, the one we read today, and the one after. Loosely, that's what context means. Religion, for religion's sake, will crush you. Doing religious things, thinking that they merit something with God, will rob your joy. If you're a follower of Christ, they will create a fog between the Holy Spirit who is indwelling you and your actual sense of an experience of life. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it will rob you of joy. I love, love, love Saving Private Ryan. Such a good movie. But the end, I'm going to give a little bit of a kind of a spoiler alert. They save him. Hopefully, if you wanted to see it, you've seen it. And there's a very old version of Private Ryan speaking to the man that saved him at his grave. And he says, Tell me it was worth it. That thinking will crush us. He came home because he was rescued, but he didn't know that his only response to that is gratitude, and it crushed him his whole life to wonder, was it worth it what they did? And it's a beautiful story, and it is all the world offers to us in terms of rest for our soul is that we do enough to merit what was done for us. It's not the gospel. We learn from Jesus because he is gentle and lowly. And I want to say something else about gentleness. It's not in my notes. Hopefully I can be clear. Oftentimes when you all tell me how the Lord speaks to you, it doesn't sound gentle. That means it's at best a skewed version of his words and might actually be from your false self or the evil one. He does not need to call you a name to get your attention. He's the Lord. And if you think you've heard words that are extra scriptural, either because someone said them to you or when you were praying they came to you, and they're not gentle and accessible, which is what lowly means, they're not from him. Because Jesus described his motivation his very way of being in the world as gentle and accessible. 
Brennan Manning is one of my favorite authors, and he's, he's Catholic, and he's arguing with another Catholic about the need for a mediator because God is so lofty and so high. And the other person says, it's like the president. Like, he's my president. He may never know me or whatever, but I can't just go to him anytime I want. And Brennan Manning said, exactly. Except you're the president's child. You have access to him at all times because he adopted you calls you his daughter or his son. The word lowly is accessible. And unlike an oppressive religious, religious system, this good news begins with his love. The gospel rightly preached always begins with his love and then we respond with a knowledge of our need and we receive And then we're freed into the only viable path for our humility in this world. There's no way we're going to be humble without his love and a knowledge of our need. And this is where the scriptures, if we'll wait to apply them correctly, are so lovely and freeing. People ask me, are you going to to make the sermon like relevant to my life? And yes, but I'm going to do it after talking about Jesus because when we do that, The tactics are simple. If you are married or in a relationship or in a friendship, humility will bless that relationship. Where to receive it but from the one who offers it because he is gentle and humble. With our children, we have to discipline them, but if we're humble, most of that discipline is about the reconciliation of relationship unless they're in danger. And that's hard to do. It's really hard. It involves time and creativity and humility. But it's a better love than punitive discipline. Unless danger. The only time I spanked one of my children is when she would uh, run into the street. It still bothers me. But she stopped running in the street. So I understand there are some times we need to be punitive. But most of the time... We receive from Jesus. He begins to give us humility. Our discipline is about the restoration of the relationship. Why does Jesus offer us his gentle and accessible heart? Well, if we remember what the definition of heart is is in the New Testament, it would violate who he is to not offer to us his heart. Why did he do it? Can you see that cross? That's a picture of a picture. So if you can't see it very well, I understand this is a church that Rick Schoenhardt designed that's in Greenwich, Connecticut. I was hoping to get down and visit it today. Do you see the circle around the cross? Do you know why there's a circle around the cross? For God so loved, Jesus offered his gentle and accessible heart to free us and then to offer for the life of the world. That's quoting an Eastern priest who I like. Jesus offers us this heart because that's the hope of the world is that we receive it and then actually know about a love that's gentle and humble and are therefore able to offer it to others. Jesus' motivation for what he did is you and then through you to offer it to the world. 
And Jesus is talking about, when he's talking about yoke, which is a, a common metaphor for taking on a teacher, a religious teacher, yoke, it was very common. He's not talking about the world. I'm going to talk about the world for a second because the world wants us to take on some kind of a yoke of undefined freedom and joy. And it's obnoxious. How can we receive freedom in this life? Probably through a car, right? If we had the right car. Isn't that the way they try and sell us cars? How could I be free to dance? Probably through liquor. If I just drank the right one, I would be free to dance. And listen, I'm in it with you. I was dancing yesterday with my son, and the dog made this weird, distressed noise. I'm not kidding. He went, oh. <laughs> the worse yoke than the false offer of freedom that this world gives is that of religion. You must do this to please God. You must pray this way in order for God to be happy with you. You must study the scriptures so that your head is full and so that... And those things look so much like a joyful person receiving the gentle and accessible heart of Christ. And yet Jesus' strongest rebuke here and in Matthew 23 and in other places, was for that belief. Why do you pray? I hope it's because you know you're loved and you enjoy that connection and that you know that your prayers matter. Why are you here? If it's for community, good. Community is a blessing. But ultimately, it's because we have been rescued by a strong, gentle, and accessible Savior. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That is the offer. If you're a follower of Jesus, that ought to encourage you. If you are considering the gospel of Jesus, that is the offer. Would you pray with me? Father, would you help us to receive your fatherly care? Jesus, would you give us a felt sense of your gentle and accessible heart that is motivated towards us for the life of the world? Holy Spirit, you are both in our hearts and in this room. And I ask as we sing, would you give us a strong sense of that, that we might be comforted and assured in your love. Amen.